Welcome to the 54th episode of Everyday Journal, coming straight from the scorched wasteland that is post-London Mulligan legacy. Uh, with me tonight is our co-host Bob Wang. Hello, hello. And our other co-host Eric Lenton. Hello. We, we've been trying to like record this podcast for quite a while, but we had to like restart it every time. Uh, finally, Eric got it right, because every time it was his turn to welcome our, viewer, our listeners, he kept reanimating Grizzlebrand and putting it into play instead of saying his name. So I'm glad we finally found a way to make this work. So guys, uh, how are you doing? What have you been up to, Bob? You're getting ready for the cheapy, right? Are you, are you feeling yep, nervous? I'm super excited for the Grand Prix. Um, usually I don't get nervous. I get nervous like the like right before round one starts. I get like butterflies in my stomach. But then like as soon as I start playing, I usually don't get nervous. Um, but I'm very, very excited. Uh, I wrote an article which is coming out this weekend. Um, should be coming out either on the 13th or 14th. So have a look out for that. Basically in the article, I kind of outline kind of what have the decks been that have been putting up the most top eights across Magic Online and in real life, um, and then kind of talk about how they match up against each other. So yeah, I'm pretty excited for the article, pretty excited for the GP, excited to see a, a bunch of friends. And uh, this is really like the kind of the, I almost feel like um, there have been a lot of big changes in Legacy lately, like Top was banned, Deathrite was banned, Probe was banned, but like, I feel like we're almost at the edge of another potentially big change with the London Mulligan. So this GP could be like a last hurrah if the London Mulligan gets implemented. Um, so it, it could be like a very defining uh, GP for Legacy, like the end of an era almost. But yeah, that's what I've been, uh, what's been on my mind. What about you, Eric? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just watching from afar for the GP. It'll be exciting to see what, what goes on. I wish I was going, but I'm not. But uh, as far, I, I'll probably make it to Atlanta, so I'm excited for that one. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, you're, you're coming back to the U.S., right, uh, later this year? Uh, yeah, I'm actually in my last uh, month now of work here in, in Thailand, so uh, getting ready to make a move very soon, actually, back to the U.S. Uh, we mentioned that last time. I think you, you said you were going back to Oregon. I was hoping you would go to, like, the East Coast so to, to like, grind a lot more tournaments there. I think the East Coast usually gets a lot better representation when it comes to that, but I think... The West yeah. Coast is not that bad for, for example, if you're going full-time streaming, then if you start in the morning, that's already a pretty good time for like to still catch the European viewers, but also catch the East Coast, and then you can keep going and still catch all of the American viewers. So like in Europe, it's sometimes a bit tricky, but from like a quote-unquote business perspective, going to like the West Coast or even the Midwest, I think would be pretty good to, to get the most potential viewers. Yeah, yeah, I think... Uh... I'm gonna test test some different times, but I'll be I'll be starting out at least on the West Coast because that's where my family lives and stuff, and I've got a wedding to go to, so that's where I'll definitely be starting out and potentially staying. But I'm gonna try out some different times and see what kind of viewers I get. But yeah, as far as like paper tournaments go, uh, the East Coast is definitely better. I'll, I'll probably do traveling for like big for GPs and things like that. Um, definitely, I'll travel as far as the East Coast for for uh, legacy GPs. So I'll be going to Atlanta for sure. Um, and I'll probably be going to Denver, which is closer to me, and I'll definitely be going to Seattle, and then there's also a Portland GP later in the year. So I'll get to play some, some bigger paper tournaments regardless. Are you are you still going to hit like the, the Asian scene? Um, James recently contacted me, and I think it's, oh, let me lie, I think it's July 20th. They're going to have a really big tournament in Guangzhou. I hope I didn't mispronounce that. That's like the Pearl River Delta, and like also near Hong Kong and everything. 
And they're going to have one of those really big uh, Chinese tournaments, which you and I both went to last year in Beijing. But yeah, that was, that, that was a lot of fun. Go but... Yeah, probably won't, probably won't make it this time around. Yeah, China's a little further from the U.S., um, <laughs> to say the Deep. least. I was looking so, at flights home, and, and they're not... It's either I'm either going to get like a reasonably priced one-way ticket for six hundred dollars, where I have two twelve-hour layovers, or I'm going to have to pay a thousand dollars to have not two twelve-hour layovers. It's still twenty-four hour flight. You guys are getting ripped off in the U.S. Seriously, whenever I flew to to like when I flew to China it was like five hundred euros. When I flew to like Los Angeles and uh, Las Vegas or New York, it's always around five hundred euros. It's like respectable airlines no, i'm not gonna mention the non-respectable ones i think those were even cheaper <laughs> but southeast I mean, I asia to the u.s is like as far as is pretty close to that's as far true. as you can get that's true that's yeah true. it's i think julian you're just kind of in the middle of everything so you sort of lucked out there yeah. but actually eric can you tell us a little bit more about like so you you're making this huge shift like to um you know content creation like what really spurred you to uh to just say like i'm gonna go for it um, well, I mean, I've always just kind of joked around about it and, uh, just like, maybe I should try and play magic for a living. Uh, mm -hmm. just kind of as like a joke, but then, uh, somebody actually, I think my mother <laughs> said, really? if you keep joking around about it, maybe you should actually do it. Uh, and then I was like, man, maybe it could actually be like a reality. Maybe it's something I could try. So anyway, I was, I'm basically, it just, what spurred it was I was getting ready to, to leave Thailand anyway. Um, just because for for multiple reasons i'm not i don't love it here it's super hot <laughs> uh, that's that's the main reason um and so i was planning to make a, a move anyway and i have like my best friend since second grade is getting married so that lined up pretty well i, I needed to go to that so and then would interfere with starting a new semester here and i just didn't really want to anyway uh so that 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 timing for leaving is good and then since i'm going to be doing that like even if um, I even if it ended up just being like a six month break, it's not the end of the world. I can go back to teaching. So, um, so it just seemed like a really good opportunity and time for me to try it. And you know, I've been throwing out some streams here and there, and and it seems like you know the more I thought about it, the more I like ran through some things in my head and some numbers on paper. It seemed like definitely was something that I could possibly do. It didn't seem like such a crazy long shot. So we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, what I really like about it is you will never, even if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, you will never look back in your life and be like, man, I wish I had tried. Because yeah. I think you have a lot of potential. I even saw your, your Patreon, which we're going to um, link to as well, which is, I think, even bigger than mine. I've been trying to maintain mine for quite a while. <laughs> so uh, you're also doing a lot of coaching, right? So we're going to link to everything in the show notes so people can see um, where you are. But um, just quickly mention what's, what's actually your Twitter, uh, not your Twitter, your Twitch name. Where can people find you on Twitch? My Twitch and my Patreon and everything is EW Landon. So it's all pretty easy to find. So I still couldn't convince you of like adopting like a supervillain name. Unfortunately, I think people already now know me by my the email I've had for the last 15 years. So I think I'm now known by my email address. Yeah, <laughs> <E. W. Landon. laughs> yeah I was watching Arkan last, last night and he kept talking about the, the big Sith Lords on Magic Online and how you are still like the biggest Sith Lord. And then there's Aurum and um, Lewis, Lewis. So you guys are like the three biggest Sith Lords. 
that I just love how Arkin like how he's got this whole storytelling down and I told him he should like actually Arkin's make hilarious. like a spreadsheet or, or like some graphic to to see who's like the lord of the Sith and who's like I don't know he calls me the, the king of the forest Ewoks and Mark is the king of the <laughs> the, the, the sand Ewoks and everything <laughs> I yeah love no we, we definitely need Archon on uh, oh my god we can one of our uh, like podcast episodes and then like We'll, we'll like create like a very definitive mapping of like which deck is like sandy walks versus foresty walks <laughs> and which deck is sith and which deck is force because I'm, I'm very lost as to like all of that but i really need to know the answer so yeah that, that'll definitely happen at some point in the future we should do that <laughs> um yeah get, getting back to uh legacy i guess let's talk about my article that's about to come out um so basically what i did for the article is again i took the um basically top uh, nine or so uh, larger archetypes with the most results. Um, so this is like paper events with 129 players or more, and then Magic Online challenges, as well as uh, spe special Magic Online events that have gotten you know uh, over 100 people. Um, so basically, these are the decks that are doing the best. So I'm just going to run through them. Um, so I lumped Grixis Delver and Blue Red uh, Wasteland Delver together because they're very similar decks. Um, so that's about uh, 10... 11% of the metagame. Next is Miracles, around 9%. Uh, then Blue-White Stoneblade, Blue-White Delver, together about 8%. Then Grixis Control and Check Pile and uh, Punishing Thieves, about 7%. Moon Stompy, 6%. Ant, 6, uh, 6%. Death and Taxes, uh, Slow Deaths, and Sneak and Show, all around 5.5%. So that was kind of where I started off, and then I, I basically went into each deck. Honestly, my feeling on the metagame is that, like, it's just wide open and that, like, all of these nine decks, I think, are, like, have their pros and cons or, and are powerful options. And I, I do talk about how they matched up against each other. Um, but I, I did it on a very simple level, if you will, because I think a lot of these matchups totally depends on your card list. It totally depends on your play skill. And so, like... Um, I was actually discussing this the other day. For example, um, Dark Depths against Death and Taxes, um, specifically the slow version of Dark Depths with Dark Confidants uh, against Death and Taxes. Um, I'm not really sure how to rate that matchup because when I play it, I win the Dark Depths side a lot. But in general, from what I hear, like if it's like an average Death and Taxes player against an average uh, Depths player, usually the Death and Taxes player is favored. So uh, I, I don't think these... Um, like matchup guides or my matchup makings are like definitive by any stretch um, but I just tried to give like my best crack at like how I felt about the matchup if it was like you know strategically favored for one side or for the other so yeah I don't know like what do you guys have any thoughts on um, just like trying to assign a fair view ranking uh, or rating to like this matchup versus that matchup like it, it can be really hard sometimes like it, it just depends on so many different factors yeah, it's, it's really hard to say. Like, I notice <clears throat> a lot on my stream when I'm playing against a certain deck with elves, and people are like, what is the matchup like? And a lot of times my answer is, it depends on, like, it, de it depends a lot on sideboards. Because, like, sometimes game ones are very, very different to games two and three. And most of the time, the matchup, I feel like, I, t I say, when I'm prepared for the matchup and the other guy plays an average sideboard, I'm definitely ahead. But if everybody plays an even sideboard, then it can be a totally different story because sometimes you need... There's certain matchups where you really, really, really need a certain card or type of card to be competitive post-board. And it's sometimes that people don't include those cards. So it's... In general, you will need to make... You will a little bit need to hedge your bets because I, I talked about that yesterday on stream how 
legacy, you have to imagine it like this big circle and you try to cover, you've got 15 sideboard cards and you try to cover as much of that circle with the sideboard cards you have or you go like the different approach and you try to like really heavily cover only certain spots but then you can get blindsided by by, by the metagame, by, by your matchups. But in general, unless you run to somebody who's like super prepared to, to destroy you with their deck, I feel most matchups these days are reasonable. I, what would you actually say? Like, what are the most one-sided match, matchups between actual legacy decks? Like, not something stupid, but I couldn't even tell you. Well, Eric used to quote Black Red against Enchantress, and Enchantress yeah. won a challenge. So, is that a real legacy deck? <laughs> um, but let's see. Let, let's just let's just even stick with like these top nine decks that I listed. Um, out of these nine. Is there a lopsided matchup among them? Possibly like Moon Stompy against something like uh, Death and Taxes or Blue White Stoneblade should be pretty lopsided in the um, the white deck's favor. Would you really uh, say that? Because I've heard that I keep people like Marius complain about how like Death and Taxes has a lot of trouble with Moon Stompy at times because of like Fury Confluence and Artifact Destruction and all that stuff. So even that I, I wouldn't say is like too lopsided. Yeah, and yeah, like, I, I guess I think... Moon Stompy's playing like more braids now, so to make it even more even. What are, what were you well, gonna say, Eric? I think that uh, people overstate the 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 Moon Stompy versus Death and Taxes matchup. But I do think that blue white should have a very good Moon Stompy matchup. And I also think that, that that's actually shifted the metagame a little bit more than, than what you discussed here from, like, my playing of leagues. Uh, I noticed that Moon Stompy has all but almost disappeared um, compared to where it was, where it was, like, really good for a while. Uh, and I think it's because of the blue-white deck, and I think that the blue-white deck... Well, when I say blue-white deck, there's, like, a few of them, right? Um, whether they play Stoneblade or not. So Miracles or Stoneblade. Uh, Delver... The Blue-White Delver deck, I don't really see that much anymore either. But um, I think that that deck has really pushed Moon Stompy, Stompy down quite a bit because that's such a lopsided matchup. And I and and I think people have just been jamming a lot of Blue-White recently. And I remember thinking that and and saying something in a stream I was watching. I think it was Baraz. I was like, what do we think that the Blue-White meta, how much of the percentage of the meta is it online right now? And I was like, is it like 20%? And then the, the challenge last week, I typed in just now, I typed in Tundra into the challenge last week, and it was 28% of the decks in the top 32 had Tundras in them. Wow. Okay, yeah, that's pretty bad. I think Blue-White definitely has seen a resurgence since basically Syracuse was, I, I would say, is the coming out of Stoneblade um, as, a, as a force to kind of deal with Moonstompy, and then immediately, um, you know, it's weird, because I feel like usually online trends first, but I feel like Blue-White Stoneblade really was Syracuse, was more of a paper um, <laughs> event leading to online trends. But I, I definitely agree that like Tundra is is almost the um, like the largest uh, like categorization of decks right now. And if you see in my like uh, list, it's like number one and number three, uh, or sorry, it's number two and number three. So yeah, I definitely think that is the most recent metagame shift. Um, so yeah, if you're going to the GP Niagara Falls, I definitely expect you know um, one or two Tundra decks to make the top eight. Because uh, they have, they just have like basically the best answers in Legacy. One, one, one question I, uh, that's kind of related to this, and I want to bring up is that like, what I find is like, people, I think, I think of Miracles and Delver as like good blue decks, and then like, <laughs> kind of like the other blue mid-range decks as like, not bad blue decks, but they're just like less inherently powerful and have like, like they're not doing anything crazy with their mana. 
So, but but I, I always feel like those blue mid-range decks, if you will, I, feel, I always feel like they're overplayed and overrepresented, um, especially like uh, among the you know quote unquote grinder crowd or or what have you. Well, I would say that about miracles, and I can never understand why you and many other people called miracles a good blue blue deck. I mean, I feel like it is a struggle for even the best miracles players to really win with that deck. And I, and I've played it, and like I don't think I'm playing it too poorly, and it's fine. It's definitely like I wouldn't call it a bad deck. So I w- it's definitely a good blue deck, but I don't think it's like one of the better blue decks. I think Delver probably is, uh, just because the whole plan of putting a clock into play early and then uh, using your counter spells to then kill them with that clock is is good against everything while like having a bunch of counter spells and jaces isn't actually good against everything so i don't understand why people always talk about miracles as being one of the best blue decks i think it's it's uh it's no better than the other control blue decks like grixis or whatever i don't know what what i like about miracles is um first of all it has one of the best mana bases in legacy and it also mm-hmm. has this thing where it can really, really snowball, right? Because of uh, ancestral knowledge, that accumulated just you, knowledge. Uh, yeah, the ancestral knowledge. That's probably some weird card from I don't know yeah. Tempest or something. <laughs> yeah, definitely you know, that actually... card makes it cool. Like it's really awesome when you start to draw a bunch of cards, but you ha- you have to like work pretty hard to get to that point in the game. And the mana base, again, it's really nice to have all these basics, but the ma- but but uh, you have like double white spells and double blue spells, and and sometimes like you don't get your double white on time or even your second white or whatever it is. It's like the mana base being mono basics isn't isn't actually as like strong as you would hope for sometimes. Like you're often using your cantrips to find the lands you need in the first three or four turns of the game, which can be a bad place to be in. I can definitely agree that the deck could use some more flooded strands if they were legal. Because like playing non-blue fetch lands just to increase your chance of getting basic planes can sometimes mm-hmm. be quite awkward. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I did talk to um, Christopher Stitson. He's MZ Frosty on Magic Online. He he was like before you got here, Eric. He was uh, the trophy leader for like quite a few seasons when Top Miracles was legal. Was and I consider him to be like Julian. Actually, asked a question on Twitter. It's like, who do you consider the best legacy player in your country? And my answer was, when Top was legal, it was Topher. And then when Top got banned and Delver was great, it was Noah Walker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my dog apparently agrees with me so uh yeah chris tofer is like an, an excellent miracles player and he's played the deck you know without top and he he also echoes a lot of the same things you were saying eric he just like doesn't love playing a reactive strategy anymore so mm-hmm. um i think yeah maybe maybe we could bump miracles down to the other the other blue decks tier now <laughs> but yeah okay. i just i just feel like good. in general <laughs> people uh <laughs> People, I think it's people a good just deck. love to play these. People just love to play like these dirtily blue decks, and yeah. I'm feeling like they <laughs> might not be as good anymore, especially as the other decks have gotten better. And especially, I think uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about the Mulligan now. I think that's going to change things. What do you guys think? Um, maybe I'm not the right person to speak out about that at first, because like I've always been of the opinion that it's not as big of a deal as people were making it. Like people were like, oh, the sky is falling. Everybody's going to start the game with like Leyline of the Chalice of One. And my feeling like thus far, I've only played like, I don't know, 40 or 50, more like 50 matches probably um, in the new Mulligan rule. And I've been enjoying it a lot. Like to me, I feel so much less hesitant about Mulliganing because one big problem about Mulliganing, not only like do you need to get the, the ratio of spells and lands correctly, but you also need to like still have some kind of curve, at least in Legacy. Like if you go like land, go, land, go, land, Knight of Relictory, for example, that's pretty bad. But if you get 
get some kind of action and the new mulligan rule helps with that like having some action of early couple of turns without being afraid to like actually mulligan to that and i also haven't really like but that's just me because i've also seen different reactions on twitter i've seen people who told me like they've out of like 60 matches they played they played against like 12 combo decks or something and but to me it's completely different like i barely ever play against like really stupid either. decks I think it benefits everybody the same. Like I, I, I think my take on it so far, I'm having a little bit of trouble deciding because I've only played about the same as you. Um, my initial take was doesn't really matter that much, um, but after more leagues, it's like it really matters. I mean, I think everybody's going to have a good hand every time. So I think like a mulligan to five is like the same as keeping a seven in the past. Like you mulligan to five, you're gonna have three good cards in your hand. Uh, yeah, like if, if, if you got something in your deck that can eventually like mitigate that card disadvantage that you're inherently suffering, uh, I think right now you have a much easier time. Oh, my screen just turned black because of screensavers. Okay, I'm still here. And now you have a much easier time um, actually implementing your initial strategy and getting to a point where it's where it's not that much more about card advantage because there are certain right. decks like they keep trading one for one and then they are just like out of cards. Those are usually tempo decks, but in non-tempo decks, I think. You, you have a really good time like implementing your game plan now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so I, I think, think with... Go ahead, Bob, sorry. No, I was just going to say that, like, I agree completely. Like, both decks are just going to have better hands. But I think this also leads to um, matchups being more lopsided, probably. So, like, um, our friend Cliffy, who won the uh, Mod Magic Online MCQ with Storm, he, he posted a couple of photos where he was like, yeah, I kept a 7, turn 1 thought seized my Eljazi opponent who multi 5, knowing that I was on Storm, and I just wanted to immediately scoop because his, you know, 5-card hand was, like, Ancient Tomb, Eldrazi Temple, Chalice, Thorn, Thought Not Seer. So, like, I think, like, some matchups, um, like, when both decks just like get to do their thing more consistently then if you have a matchup advantage it's likely to become even more of an advantage so that was my one observation just play better sideboard cards like honestly like i that that was already that way for storm versus eldrazi i mean yeah but like play... some of the time like they would mulligan and then like they would have not so functional of a hand and then you would just beat them not that often <laughs> not that often in my experience if they know what you're on that wouldn't happen that often i mean they usually play something really good that makes you go really slowly so then they get to play another thing that's really good before you actually answer the first thing um uh but but if you play better like with reanimator reanimator has a very similar issue with the uh the leyline decks but i mean you play a card like serenity which i'm now playing three of it it just answers all of the things that they're doing so i actually find that the that the eldrazi matchups for Reanimator are actually better now. Something that I've been trying with elves lately is to like not play the full playset of uh, Leylines of the Void, and just having like two Leylines because there's many matchups where I'd much rather have the Surgical than the Leyline. For example, like against most combo decks that are not like graveyard based, I'd rather have Surgical. And I feel like maybe I, my thought behind this is that I can create this weird strategic strategic state where like the Reanimator wants to bring in like their hate for for Leyline. But at the same time, I only have a couple of those. So it it's creates this weird uh, situation where they need discard for my surgical and or removal for the ley line. So by that, I'm, I'm basically trying to actually increase variance in a bad matchup. So that, uh, like, like Bob mentioned, the more consistent both decks are, the less, the less lucky wins you can get. So if you've got a bad matchup, um, you are 
maybe but actually i don't want to say you're gonna have a harder time actually overcoming that because you are also see your cypher cards more often so i don't know that's I, a good strategy julian because people are always telling me that my sideboard plans for reanimator are no good and that i should just be playing like more of this or more of that but i do exactly like what you're talking about right you just Mix it up and play like five random things because if they can guess what your site, what your hate is, it's way easier to beat you. And that's mm -hmm. my experience with reanimator. So that's why all my graveyard hate sideboards are in non reanimator decks. That reminds me of my first ever vintage tournament. I was playing some fish deck, and people also introduced me. And they were like, okay, if you're playing against Dredge and Vintage, just have all kinds of different sideboard hate. So I had like one Wheel of Sun and Moon, one Fairy Macabre, one um, that the black capsule that you can sacrifice to, to remove the graveyard, one Surgical, like everything as one offs. And it was actually kind of weird for them to deal with it because they needed so yeah. many different types of cards. <laughs> Yeah, no, I 100% I agree with, like, splitting up hate when you can. It's just, like, the blue decks have gotten so ingrained to playing Surgical. I think that's finally starting to change. More people are playing, like, Tormod's Crypt or um, some other cards. But, um, yeah, I think while, that's wrong, just, by like, the way. You, you don't like Tormod's Crypt in, like, I don't know, like, no, say, no. Phoenix? It feel like a magic card. Maybe, it, no, in Phoenix, so that's the, everybody's playing it now in, in, in real blue decks. Like, Phoenix wasn't, like, a real blue deck because it didn't play Force of Will. So Phoenix played Tormod's Crypt because it couldn't, it had no counter magic. So like you can't protect surgicals in your hand, so they're kind of useless if they have discard. But like Tormod Script, you play it out. But it's definitely worse than surgical against Reanimator. Like Tormod Script is definitely worse than surgical against Reanimator. Um, but now other blue decks are playing it because Phoenix played it, and they thought that that was a clever idea. And it's like, well, that's like the easiest side. That's like the easiest graveyard hate to to kill. All right, so you're like playing what would Snapcaster. You, yeah, what would you play, play with uh, Blue White Stone Blade then? Like, what would you play? I would play like, I mean, how many slots do I get here? Because I'll uh, play, let's, let's say just, I play let's five say, slots. Okay, sure. That's a lot, but okay. I would play like, okay, let's say, oh, okay, two, two, sir. I think my, my Bant list, I can pull it up right now, actually. I play a lot. Because like, cause like these decks are really, like, if you can, you don't need that many sideboard cards for, for blue decks. And so you just kind of need, hold on, I'll pull it up and I'll be able to say what I'm saying better. Uh, Where is it? Here it is. All right, my sideboard for my Bant deck. Which, by the way, I was the second deck I played in the London Mulligan because everybody's playing uh, Chalice decks and it's good against those. But anyway, my graveyard package for the Bant deck, which is basically Blue White Stone Blade, is two Rest in Peace, two Containment Priests, and two Surgicals. Two Rest? Okay, okay. Interesting. Because so Surgicals really, yeah, yeah. really, really good. You want it in your opener, like you want a Force of Will or a Surgical in your opener, and then Containment Priest and Rest in Peace just close out the game. So like. I was streaming and somebody said, well, if you mulligan a hand with rest in peace, maybe it should be something else. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to keep, it's not, it's really, really good against reanimator, but I'm on the draw and it's the only thing I have. It's not good at all, but it's still really good against reanimator. So you have, I think it's good to mix it up, have some things that you want early and then have things that just end the game. Because if you just have a bunch of surgicals, they can also just mm. get discarded and then they combo you. I've been you. there with Fs. You, you have like two surgicals and you wait for them to do something because you mulligan for them and then your hand isn't all that great. And eventually they just like fade them away with like random discard or like even just going for, you know, the, the Exhume and Tomb Trick and stuff. It, yeah. It's not that great. Sometimes you really want to do something proactive that poses like a problem for your opponent uh, in a way that they are not used to dealing with. And surgicals right. are probably the easiast hate to play around for outside of maybe Thomas Crypt. <laughs> for yeah, but they are the, they are I think by far the best if you're playing Snapcaster in your deck. Like surgical is by far the best thing you sh you can be doing in your, for your cheap uh, graveyard hate if you're playing a surgical 
I mean, if you're playing Snapcaster, Surgical is by far the best. Gotcha. So you're basically saying, like, yeah, don't play Crypt, just play Surgical, but then also play other stuff in addition to that. Yeah, or, like, play one Crypt maybe to mix it up, but, like, don't replace your Surgicals with Tormod's Crypt because Surgicals is just way better. <laughs> like, you can you can brute force your way through through Tormod's Crypt. Like, if Surgical exiles Gristlebrand, the game is basically over. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's also, like, a couple other decks, right? So there's, like, Ant, where Pass and Flames is a really important card in the Blue-White Stoneblade matchup. Yeah, Tormac um, Crypt is great there. Really, really good against that deck, for yeah, sure. Better so, than Surgical yeah. by, by a mile. Right. I'm going to pick up they on have something. Even more discard. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. But, like, I think the um, the overall story, in my opinion, is just, like, yeah, mix it up, play different hate, yep. play pe stuff people might not be ready for. So, yeah. Yeah, so I don't I'm hate, like, pick up one on something that Eric said. Um, you said... In a blue deck, you don't need that many sideboard cards. Uh, as in, like, you already have a lot of things covered. So I would assume what you meant is... Uh, so for the mirrors. Cards... For blue decks. Oh. For blue decks. Oh, for blue decks. I thought you meant yes. in blue you decks. You need a lot. Because... For, like, for like reanimator that's trying to kill you on turn one or two, you need a lot. Because your cantrips aren't always going to be able... You can't, like, lean on your cantrips as much. Yeah. And that that's basically what I wanted to get at, because I, especially during the top era, got the feeling that a lot of people that were trying to like get some marginal value in like blue in the so called quote unquote blue matchup and they somewhat neglected like these heavy hitting decks that you need like really strong cyber cards against. And that's mm -hmm. how we got like famous cyber cards like Arib Mesa. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I just can't get over that. I'm sorry, Joe, but I, when I saw that in the side part, like, yeah, that, that to me that was like the epitome of like inbred blue meta games. I need yeah, to have on my side. That's pretty insane. <laughs> like, let's have the least impactful possible thing in our sideboard. <laughs> and these days, I think people often get somewhat cute with their sideboards. They like they don't really think about like, oh, if I draw my sideboard card, I want it to be really good. It's just like, yeah, I think this card is good, and it's I don't know, I. I I'm always, I've always been the kind of player who wants really, really strong sideboard cards. Of course, that's also partially because I often don't play blue decks, so I, I definitely need some big help against some of the faster decks in the format. Uh, but overall, I like when I see a sideboard and it has a lot of like actual cool, like I'm, I'm flexing my arm right now, like really strong sideboard cards. That, that's what I want to see in Legacy, uh, because that's I think is one of the most honest approaches that you can have, and. As long as you play stuff like Snapcaster Mage in the sideboard, you don't ever get to get complain about like losing to to a somewhat faster deck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on the on the topic of sideboards, um, so we we wanted to talk about this. So apparently the um, the Eternal Glory podcast, so that's Anurag, Wilson, and Bryant. Um, they talked briefly about my article. Uh, that I wrote a couple weeks ago for Channel Fireball on sideboard guides. And, and by basically, talk briefly, you mean they talked shit about it? <laughs> uh, that was mostly Wilson, but yeah. Uh, well, what's funny to me is that, like, uh, it seemed like Wilson was mostly agreeing with me, but he was criticizing the title of the article, uh, which was, you know, sideboard guides are a trap. But if you literally read, like, the first couple sentences, I, I, I say how, like, sideboard guides are a valuable tool, um, but they only get you... 50% of the way basically. So I think mostly we're just we're all in agreement is that they're a good start and they're a useful tool especially like say you're building a deck um, I'm actually building a sideboard guide for the GP because I just want to make sure that like I have enough live cards in every single matchup. So they definitely have a lot of uses to them um, but you can't just rely on them too heavily and just like always follow the sideboard guide because uh, things can change and people can do different plans against you and you need to adjust on the fly. So that was the overall gist of my thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that 
like you mentioned, I think Wilson was actually agreeing on the general idea that people shouldn't get too caught up in like taking a sideboard guide literally card for card because he also I think you got a pretty good example of like different miracle decks and how you would like completely differently sideboard against those kind of decks and that's something that people should probably become somewhat more aware of because I also like I often get a request when when I try out a new deck like Maverick or like the value elves that I played people come to me and they ask me for sideboard guides and I noticed it's not even about the time that I would need to put in there but I often feel like if I put out a sideboard guide and I give it to you I don't think that's actually very valuable to you unless I also like type out like a paragraph or two about why I'm sideboarding that way and like things that you might want to change if you see encounter different stuff and I guess at that point it also becomes a matter of time because it's a lot of work um, but like literally just very basic sideboard cards uh, guides they're like an inspiration and maybe something you can use if you feel like you're totally lost but once you get to a certain point and you want to become better with that deck, I think it's really, really important that you also like understand the underlying premise of why somebody would sideboard in a certain way. And at that point, you really got to take into account that this is not the gospel. That That's not how you always sideboard in this matchup because, like you mentioned, there's different types of the same deck. And that makes it really hard to just take a sideboard right for granted. So you always need like some kind of additional information explanation. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with, with what you guys are saying for sure. Like, uh, I've written a sideboard guide because people are always asking me or have always asked me how to sideboard. And so I, I wrote one, but same time, I change my sideboard frequently and I sideboard differently daily, like very frequently. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm changing how I sideboard. What I think is way more valuable is understanding or learning an approach to a matchup. Like, how do we approach this matchup? And then knowing um, which cards you use to, to you know lead to that approach. And then the sideboarding should come fairly naturally from there. Uh, sideboards are really useful for me. As, sideboard guides are really useful for me if I don't know the format at all. <laughs> and so I don't know the matchups at all. And I don't even know what the cards are in the sideboard for. Uh, and I'm learning as I play. Then the sideboard guide is really useful. But it, you know, at, at that point, I'm not, like, I'm not really trying to win like a GP. With that, I'm trying to learn a format. So I think they're good for learning yeah. a format. But if you're trying to like actually win a tournament, I think you need to be a step beyond what I just explained where the sideboard guard, guide is useful. And and then uh, the people that you're asking for sideboard guides, maybe ask them how do you approach this matchup rather than how do you sideboard in this matchup. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. You said um, you have to learn the approach to a certain matchup. And that reminds me heavily of something that I learned from a different game, actually. Uh, when I when I learned StarCraft Brood War, I watched a lot of like the Day9 dailies, like Day9 who's now doing a lot of magic content. And one of the earliest things that I really learned from him was like, you have to have a plan for a matchup. Like you're playing Terran against Zerg or Terran against Protoss, whatever. It's not that much about the build order. Yes, you want to execute your build order correctly, but you want to understand, like you, you want to have a certain kind of approach. Like I want to produce something very quickly and attack them this way because this way, because for reason X, Y, Z. And those reasons might be bad, but at least it gives you like a standard to evaluate your, your plan against. And you can grow as a player because you can understand why your plan failed. Whereas if I told you, okay, you build like Mutalisk, you build Hydralisks, and those are units in StarCraft, by the way, and then you attack at this and this time, and then it doesn't work, 
you might not actually fully understand why it didn't work because you yourself didn't really understand the plan, like the, the idea behind that. And I think it translates very well into magic where you also, like you want to think about certain board states or situations that you want to maneuver the game into because you know that from there you might be favored. And then you look at your sideboard and you feel like, hey, which cards are actually going to help me with that? Yeah. As opposed to like bringing those cards in and then playing a purely tactical game where you just feel like, okay, this card could be good. I actually am not sure why I brought it in. And that's, I think, one of the the most important skills and especially legacy to, to become a better player. Yep. Uh, but what I want to say is um, Wilson brought up something that's important. Like he actually was making the, the case for sideboard guides and what he was mentioning was like sideboard mapping. And that's, I think, was his main argument why, side, why he I thought he disagreed with Bob, which I think he didn't really do actually. Um, because sideboard mapping, where you like really, you figure out, for example, you have a matchup where you have like eight horrible cards, but you only have like three cards you want to bring in against. And if that matchup is common enough, to face it like repeatedly, you should ask yourself, maybe I should actually like change my sideboard. Maybe I should like have a little bit more of those cards because the, the marginal value I would get out of those cards is incredibly high. Whereas in other matchups, like I'm sideboarding out like a decent card and bringing in like a good card. That's that's like a, a smaller delta, right? Your, your, the, the upgrade in absolute terms is a little smaller. So that's something that like sideboard guides help you a lot in spotting like these problems. So that's definitely a big upside. Yeah, yeah. I, I encountered that recently when I played some uh, Eldrazi Cloud Post and faced the mirror, and it's like I there are so many bad cards in the mirror, and I don't have enough cards to bring in the sideboard. <laughs> so it's like, am I better off with having random useless chalices in my deck or random useless like leyline of the voids in my deck for the mirror? Because <laughs> there's literally nothing to bring in. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying, right? If that matchup was common enough. Then you would, like, the way that you plan out your sideboarding before the tournament, you would spot that problem. Yeah. And you would try to find a, a fix for that. I think that might, that's probably not a matchup that you would, like, worry too much about. At least that's yeah. my approach. Like, I pretty much do what Bob did. Like, I look at the top the top decks, the most played decks, like here, the top nine decks. And those are literally the only decks I care about at all when going into a big tournament. It helps when you're playing a proactive deck because then even if you face something that's a little bit weird, you can still like out proactive them, like doing executing your game plan and then you still win. Whereas if you're playing like, for example, I don't know, a deck like Miracles, you can, people always sometimes say that struggles with weird decks. I think Miracles can just overcome weird decks by the power level of like its cards, like Terminus and like Chase, Snapcaster. That, that's a lot of good cards. And I think one of the cards that helped it the most uh, recently, over the recent years is Council's Judgment. Uh, that's something that the deck had been missing for quite a while, at least in the main deck. Mm. But while we're at that, guys, what do you think of the new card that will allegedly destroy Legacy as we know it? Which, at least if you go by... Uh, well, actually, okay, here, here's something. I've been mentioning Blue Chat a couple of times, and Bob has, has cautioned me to not call it Blue Chat anymore, and this, instead refer to it as my legacy friends. So it's not that cryptic thing anymore. So me and my legacy friends, we talked about, <laughs> that. <laughs> we talked about this new card, uh, the new Teferi. Uh, one colorless, a blue and a white. Uh, Planeswalker comes into play with four loyalty. It says that you can play, oh, guys, help me out. You can play sorceries on your opponent's turn as if they have flash or something, or actually any time you could, they have. No, no, so 
Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll read off Oh, the no, no, card. it's the other way around. Yeah, we, yeah. we got Bob in here to do that. <laughs> yeah, so Teferi Time Raveler, one, a blue and a white, so three mana total. Each opponent can only cast spells when they can cast a sorcery. It starts on four loyalty, plus one, until your next turn. Uh, you may cast sorceries as though they had flash. And then minus three, return an artifact, creature, or enchantment to its owner's hand, draw a card. Um, so that's the card. Uh, my initial thoughts on it are, at first I was like, wow, this card's great. Um, but then I realized I'm like l looking at this lens from a blue player, like against like a non-blue deck, um, it really like, uh, like sure you can bounce a chalice, but like then they can just re recast it. So like it doesn't even, you know, fix that problem. Um, my dog is really, really it's annoying. It's not that loud, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, so the issue is that they can just replay the card. and But the the biggest upside to me is the fact that it costs three mana and it, it replaces itself immediately. So, I don't know, those are kind of like... Uh, <laughs> sorry, I just keep getting distracted. Give me one sec, you guys can talk about it. <laughs> All right, let me, let me respond here to, to what Bob just said. It only bounces a chalice? I mean... From like okay, this this card in my I don't know I'm, I might be wrong. I haven't really talked about the card that much because, I mean I don't want to talk in hyperbole or anything. But the card seems like crazy to me. Like um, if you're a storm deck or show and tell deck, like bouncing a chalice is a pretty big deal. And the fact that like none of your cards can be countered is a pretty big deal. Like this is a must answer from a deck from a deck like that. And it has like this built-in game one answer to stuff like Chalice that you don't already have because it's not useful enough uh, to have Chalice answers against blue decks. So now you've got like this card that's just insane and against blue decks, and it can answer a Chalice. Like that's pretty crazy to me. Um, so I think yeah, okay, in a so... combo deck, like I think I, I'm thinking like Storm's gonna want to play white, Show and Tell's gonna want to play white. I could even see like Miracles maybe wanting this card, but. I don't. It doesn't really feel like a like a like a control card to me, but we'll see. Okay, that that's interesting that that was your first reaction because my first reaction was like, oh yeah, let's play this in blue white stoneblade and miracles. But then I thought about it some more, and it's like, what are the most common ways for blue decks to attack miracles and blue white stoneblade? It's with like, it's with true name nemesis, red elemental blast, spell pierce, and like this card lines up poorly against all of those things. So um, from a blue mirror perspective, like. Like, what are you cutting for this? Are you cutting Council's Judgment? That makes you even weaker to True Name. So, like, from that perspective, I can I see the card definitely has some flaws. Obviously, it's great when it's in play and they have nothing. Then you you get complete control of the stack, which is extremely powerful. Um, and like, you blank like like ten cards from your opponent's deck. So, like, it definitely has its uses in Blue Mirrors too. But what you were just describing was in combo decks against Blue decks, it turns off all their counter spells, which is like their main axis of attack. I agree that that's extremely powerful. It remains to be seen how easy to cast it is, because it is, you know, two different colors of mana um, in a combo deck, and it, it also, you know, you can just spell Pierce, Rabbit, or whatever. Um, but I, I think it has a ton of potential, and it's probably the the front runner for um, legacy relevant cards in the set. But there, there are definitely a bunch more. Um, yeah, I don't know. We what about the Nissa that you tried to sell to me, Eric? Isn't that like a new five mana Nissa that you were like? Oh, no, that was me. On? That was me. And you're like, this card is trash. <laughs> Never play it. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm sorry. And I, I, I said, I, I, th I said, I think it's good because I, I was a little bit surprised that Julian said it's unplayable because it really looks very similar to the, to the Nissa that Julian played for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't disrespect. Wait, Nissa, it makes yeah. your, it makes your land into a creature. Like, isn't that all the other one did too? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, but this one turns into a zero zero creature. Is that right? That's why it's uh, bad. Oh yeah, so it kills the land. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, no, no, it, it it gives it like plus three. I know plus three it or gives something. it counters. I know. Yeah. I'm kidding. I, I thought that Eric was just trolling me at some point. <laughs> some of it might have been. I don't even know anymore. I think basically, like the other Nissa had like the other two abilities were more relevant um, than the two abilities on this Nissa. So the other Nissa was just like strictly better. Is basically what. Yeah, for the other Nissa, like. The, she had two amazing abilities like the, the the hasty creature that attacks chase and also like remains a 5-5 on that time so it's, it's really good at blocking and the ultimate was just busted and one of the big thing and the the minus ability came up every now and then uh, but the, the big thing is you cast this usually on turn three if you have it in your opening hand and then you get the ultimate on turn four and the ultimate gives you the emblem that whenever yeah. a land comes to play on your turn you draw a card like every fetch land draws you two cards and if you don't draw a fetch land, at least you drew a business spell, probably. Or, like, at least a creature. So this card put a lot of pressure on your opponent to, like, do something about it. Whereas the other one, it's like you cast it, you get, like, a 3-3, three, three, hey. Okay, was... you've made a good <laughs> argument. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if I actually made a good argument against it. It's a worse creature. It makes a worse creature. Yeah. And the the extra mana that it makes is completely useless. Because if you're casting a 5-mana spell in Legacy, I mean... <laughs> Doubling your yeah, hands is kind of dumb. It, I think the other one, actually, if you have Cradle, produces even more mana because it animates yeah. Cradle, and then you get to enter sure. Cradle with Bywood, same with Inquirian Ranger. Uh, whereas you actually don't have that many actual forests and, and elves, so I, I'm not even sure. If, I guess I brought the card up, so let's yeah. not discuss okay, it. Okay, well, anymore. let's go back to Teferi. I don't want to... I, I do want to talk about a, a couple other cards, too, so I don't want to spend too long on Teferi, but um, overall, I would say, like, the floor of this card would be, like, maybe something um, like a fringy Planeswalker... I think it's going to be better than like something like a Johnny Vengeant or or whatever, um, but, and the ceiling of this card would probably Narset. be something like uh, I don't think Narset sees any play. Uh, Johnny, no, I know that's an example play. of one that everybody hyped quite heavily for miracles and sees zero right. play. Um, I would say the ceiling would be something closer to like maybe Liliana the Last Hope, which is like matchup dependent, but can be very powerful in that matchup. Um, so I would, I, that's kind of like the range of where it would be. I'm leaning towards it's closer to the ceiling than to the floor. Um, so yeah, do you guys I would actually argue that the ceiling is even higher because when you're playing a, playing a blue mirror and you untap with that card, it's going to be super devastating for the opponent. They, you get to do whatever you want to do pretty much. And they can, they can never really fight back. Even if they have like counter spells, they can't use the counter spells to protect their own spells. Mm -hmm. It's, it's going to be problem, devastating. The problem is like... So you do, it's it's really hard to generate card advantage with Teferi because you can only you minus it once and then you need to take up a bunch of turns before you can like minus it again. So but but again it, it just costs three mana. So I don't think we've we've quite seen a planeswalker that is is quite like Teferi before. So uh, I yeah, I mean Wilson Wilson was like really down on it because he was like, you know, you're paying three mana, you're not really answering anything per se. And like you could be falling behind on tempo. Plus, this card is easily answered by a lot of things. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, I've definitely heard like lots of different opinions. I've literally heard people who are like, uh, "Oh, this is gonna be Jace," and a lot of <laughs> people are like, "Oh, this is literally unplayable." So like, this this is definitely like. I think I agree with what you said with Liliana the Last Hope, where uh, that card's really really good, um, but it's not like people are gonna play four of them or anything. Even though it's a three three mana spell, like. You do see four of three mana spells like True Name Nemesis, for example, in some decks. But um, I, I think that it's a little bit... this. I don't know if you would call it the ceiling at this point, but I think that it's going to have a slightly different or higher impact on, on Legacy because I do think, like I said, I think uh, potentially something like Storm and Show and Tell might want to play 
white, which they haven't mm -hmm. really in the past. Like, I think for Storm in particular, like, it being a must-answer spell, yes, you can answer, but it's a must-answer spell, and you're playing a deck that, like, your opponent, if they're on a blue blue deck, um, they're already going to have trouble deciding what spells to answer. Now you've presented this one that they have to answer. Uh, so you get to sculpt the game around that. And then and then the fact that it does have, like, built-in game one answers to literally anything, or, or a lot of problem cards, like artifacts, that you don't have game one answers to in general, I think that that's, you know, if it if I'm right about that, that's a much higher impact than Liliana the Last Hope had on Legacy, because uh, it's going to change the way that a lot of popular decks are built. Um, so I was going to say, um, is the, if you're splashing white for the card, is the card even better than Orem's Chant then? Because it does pretty much the same for a turn, which is often all you need. like and that the upside, green enchantment. Yeah, the green, oh, City of Solitude. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I see that the upside, of course, uh, over something like Orem's Chant, of course, is that you get the minus ability. But how many matchups are there actually where you, you take advantage of them not being able to counter your stuff? and them having something that you want to remove, like a chalice. I think the only one that comes to mind is maybe something like Blue-White Stoneblade, when they have, like, either Thrawn Cannonists or something. Well, it's not I that really that's think... not that you have both in one matchup. It's that you have a use in every matchup. Oh, like like a Swiss Army Knife card? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, just okay, like against blue decks, that. now they can't, they can't counter anything. So that's why they, mm -hmm. it's a must-answer. And against the other decks, it's not dead. It's, even though True. it's less impactful, it does... Now you have this card that can answer chalices that you didn't already have answers to in your main deck and now you can so the idea would be that something like aunt uh nauseam tendrils they would cut something like green probably from the deck and play white instead for this card and then play yeah like and then they, they probably cut it in the sideboard in the games but like you have this use for it in game one and then like in game two and three you would probably put in something like disenchant over it if you're only using okay, now it. you actually got me excited for the card because i, I want to see is that like i i i honestly want the card to be playable even though i'm not convinced it is because as much as like Marcus and Anorak were like super excited about the card, I was like pretty anti the card. I don't see it as a control like... card. I think they're going to be highly disappointed yeah. with what it does in a control <laughs> deck. I, I think in the mirror it'll be really good because now you get to cast your stuff and your opponent doesn't. <laughs> I wonder if this will incentivize people in the mirror to actually have red blast and blue blasts again because lately the trend has been like going away from playing red and miracles or even stoneblade decks. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right, so that's Teferi. Let's talk about a couple other cards that I, I think are exciting. So I think a couple ones that we don't have to talk too much about, um, but are obviously just upgrades. Like, for example, Liliana's Triumph is a, a better Diabolic Edict that will easily just basically replace anybody playing Edict. Um, uh, a couple other can't cards... can't target yourself, though. So yeah, you can't target yourself, so like... <laughs> I mean, I, I, okay, I, that's just like a silly argument. I'm not going to entertain it. Um, Bolus's Citadel is interesting... From the storm players I've talked to, and me looking at the card too, it can you mention what obviously the card is? okay. Uh, it's really it's really long. It's not that complicated. Okay, so basically it's three, and then three black. So it's kind of similar to ad nauseum, but costs one more. Um, you may look at the top card of your library and then play it at any time, um, or I guess you still have to follow if it's a sorcery that you have to play it as yeah. a sorcery. And but you can pay Phyrexian mana basically for its cost rather than its actual cost. Um, and actually, you have to pay for Exeon. It's not like you get the option. Then you can also sacrifice 10 non-land permanents uh, to drain for 10. Or so actually, for Exeon mana, I think you you pay like... For Exeon mana would be 2 for 1 mana. So you pay, you just pay the converted mana cost, right? Yes, sorry. So, yeah. so like if you pay play a Dark Ritual, you pay 1 life. Um, 
from what I've heard from the Storm players, it doesn't quite fit in Ad Nauseam Tendrils or TES, um, but there could be a build of Storm that could play this card, perhaps with like land grants, perhaps with like Mox Opals, because um, it's an artifact, uh, and like it's just good at like it's really good with like Chrome Mox and the artifacts if you just hit more artifacts. So there could be a different Storm build out there. Jury is still out. Most people are leaning no, just because like these kinds of big flashy cards are really hard to build something that's like better than Ant already. So uh, it's interesting. Yeah. It probably won't see play. If artifact. it does see play, it is an artifact. Um, so if it does see play, it could be an exciting new combo deck. But Goblin, um, somebody's gonna do something with Goblin Welder. Otherwise, I think that card looks pretty unplayable. Like I don't think an Ant shell. I think you could make something janky, uh, uh, but fun with it, but not like an Ant deck. Like you said, I mean the Ant deck's already perfect. <laughs> Right. This card's definitely not better than what Ant's already doing. Okay. Um, next card I wanted to talk about. This card is also pretty exciting. I probably don't think it's there, but it's the ceiling is extremely high. Is two mana, Dreadhorde Arcanist, uh, a colorless and a red. Uh, one three trample. When it attacks, you can cast an instant or sorcery with CMC less than Dreadhorde Arcanist's power without paying its mana cost. So this casts Ancestral Vision because um, you don't have to pay the mana cost. And like the ceiling for this card would be like you um, a couple scenarios like say you bolt something turn one you play this guy turn two then you attack and you get a free lightning bolt that's pretty good then if you're like doing crazier things with like ancestral vision um, that can be really good so it's just like a st snapcaster mage that uh, triggers on attack uh, the downside is it's constricted by its power and that you need to actually attack with it you don't need to connect with it but you need to attack with it. So yeah, when I first saw that card, and to this day I'm surprised people haven't been talking so much about that card because to me, that's probably one of the biggest cards that has been spoiled for Legacy yet. Uh, might even be the most important one because this card, like you mentioned, it triggers on attack. It doesn't need to connect. It actually it clears its way. Like you, you get to Lightning Bolt before they go to blockers, and the card to me at two mana seems very very reasonable. Th this feels like the kind of card they would have like in the past printed at something like one a red and a red, but now we're getting it like this. I, I mean, I could end up being wrong, but I can definitely see this in some kind of blue-red shell, like where you also get the flashback your brainstorms. I don't know, like if, if the kind of card lends itself to working, working itself into like an ancestor vision decks because ancestor vision decks really want to go long most of the time, and I think they're set up. I, I guess you could technically like thought score it into your graveyard and then get it back that way, but that's already asking for a lot to go to go right. Uh, but overall, I think, uh, especially because of Lightning Bolt and this triggering on attack, not on connection, it's, it's a pretty big deal. I'm in the opposite camp. I'm surprised we're talking about it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really am. I didn't. I never heard anybody talk about this card for like. So, I think that that it doesn't do anything when it comes into play, and we already have like like you said, Snapcaster and lots of other and and the the mission briefing and. So it's uh, like a you, weird. It's like a weird mix of Dark Confidant and Snapcaster Mage, but you need to enable it. But it, if you do enable it, it can be pretty powerful. Um, like in Modern, for example, um, it, it synergizes well with like Become Immense. So I think people will definitely try this card in the um, Become Immense uh, Shadow Zoo deck. Um, in Legacy, I'm just like, I'm not sure because there's no existing shell around it. And if you play it in something like Blue Red Delver, well, that deck's really just trying to like kill you really quickly. It's not necessarily trying to like go up on a million cards, but going up on a million cards is always just good. So, I don't know. It's I'm, I'm very intrigued by it. Um, I haven't thought too much about, like, decks uh, to build around it, but, um, you know, I might give it a go because it is very powerful. Uh, I think, th so, 
for something to be played at two mana that doesn't do anything when it enters the battlefield, uh, there's like three that, that we see. Um, Young Pyromancer, don't even see a whole lot of, but this card like um, leaves behind dudes if you're, you know, so like if they answer it. Um, so kind of replaces itself in that way. Bob replaces itself if you untap, and um, Tarmogwife is almost impossible to kill. But I mean, none of these cards see that much play. And so this card, I think you're right, actually, that like it's close to like a young Pyromancer because if you attack with it, it kind of replaces itself. Uh, it's And so it's close to Bob and young Pyromancer in that way. Uh, Tarmogwife, obviously. Yeah, you don't, you don't get the immediate value with a Pyromancer. You could get some immediate value by going like Pyromancer Cantrip or whatever. Right. Um, so like like if you just top deck this against control deck they're like okay cool answer it like so it, you really it's like a you know it's like a snowball type card um, I think it's like close to as good as some cards that are not played very much in like a <laughs> so well, that's why card, I don't think it's what gonna cards, be played what cards are like not played that are like no that's why I said dark I confidant and young Pi that are better that are not played um, well I mean I'm just seeing it more in the slot like dark confidant or young pyromancer which aren't played that okay. much. Yeah, that's already, fair. It could, it, it could be like. Better. I think you're probably right. Obviously, Dark Confidant has some has some like restrictions around it as well. You don't want to, you know, play. Generally, you don't want to play Force of Will with that card. Um, whereas this card is totally fine with Force of Will. I don't know. I I, I would say like there's a chance it sees no play. Um, and there's actually you know a small chance that it's actually a very good two drop. So, yeah, yeah we'll see. Yeah. Um, next so, card. Um, yeah. By the way, so I guess in like a couple of months from now, we're gonna come together, and Eric is gonna tell us how this card and his sideboard from Blackrock Reanimator is gonna change like the mirror's match <laughs> everything. I, I didn't <laughs> even think about it. You played that. every single sideboard card. Uh, I didn't even think about it. It's gonna be busted in Reanimator. You can recast your reanimates. <laughs> yeah. If if they killed one earlier, you can reanimate your. And you can arcanist. sacrifice it to therapy. <laughs> Ooh, you can. Yep, that's always the key. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. All right. Moving on. A couple other cool cards. Uh, so there's this card Neoform, that could be interesting. I, I don't see think it'll see play, but it's one, a green and a blue for a sorcery. As an additional cost, sacrifice a creature. Search your library for a CMC equal to one plus the sacrifice creature. It enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter. So like people are joking with like, oh, you play Mirror Enforcer and then you play Grizzlebrand, but like what Mirror Enforcer <laughs> deck is possibly going to get like green and blue? Yes, this effect <laughs> has been around forever and none of them have been playable. So this one's so, not yeah, going to be playable. Like, <laughs> Uh, I think, I think in modern it, it has a lot. Like you can definitely build around it. In legacy, it's just like too easy to counter and like too much setup. Um, so we can skip over that one. Uh, next card is Comic Distinguished Advocate. By the way, do you guys know what an advocate is? Is it just like someone who advocates? I would yeah. imagine. How, how do you spell that? A D V O K I S T. K I S T. What? That that sounds really weird. Right, actually, okay. if I, so if I Google for it, the first card that comes up is Orsof Advocate. <laughs> Command okay, it's, it's, it's actually not even an English word, so I guess it's just like <laughs> some guy who goes and argues at, uh, like a lawyer or something. But the card is two white for a legendary 2-3. Flying lands on the battlefield, and land cards and graveyards can't be the targets of spells or abilities your opponents control. Your opponents oh, can't play one. lands from graveyards. So, um, you know, this turns off like... Wasteland, Rashad and Port, Thespian Stage, Vampire Hexmage, Targeting Dark Depths. Um, so it's very much like a Dark Depths hate card. Um, Thomas Enovolton's first reaction was that it was unplayable um, because like, he didn't feel like he needed help in that matchup um, against Lands or against Merit Lodge. Um, and it's like not that, you know, 
But the way I look at it is it's like a Sarah Avenger that, you know, it, you know, has one fewer power, but it still has flying and uh, doesn't have vigilance, but has like this other ability. So it's like if you're in the market for playing Sarah Avenger, there's a good chance you would rather play this card instead. So I What's think there's power? a that's a two three flying. So it blocks Delver. Um, I think it like <laughs> has a chance of seeing play. I don't think that it's going to like change the format. It's definitely going to be very annoying for Dark Depths decks. But I'm not even sure that it'll see play. And if it does see play, it'll be fringe. So it's also a I legend, so you can always Karakas it as well. I could see it being a one drop. I think one problem the card has is that you can't recruit off the guard for it because it has three toughness. So it's going to be a little bit harder to find. And you don't really want to play like multiples of this because, like I mentioned, there's some matchups where it's really just like a nice creature, that, like a 2-3 flyer that's not cutting it in Legacy. But overall, the card is quite exciting. And what's exciting me the most about the card, actually, is the backstory of it. Um, <laughs> David Humphreys, who's like, I think he goes by Magical Principal Game Designer. Yeah, that sounds like something. <laughs> um, Wizard said that he was unhappy with Death and Texas having trouble with dealing with Death White Shaman. So because they are designing sets very far in advance, he actually like put this card into the set and as a way for like Death and Texas to fight Death Watch Shaman. And now we know Death Watch Shaman has been banned for quite a while. Uh, but the first time that... Or not actually the first time. They also did it for Mental Misstep where they acknowledged that this card was printed for Legacy. But for the first time in quite a while, Wizards really went out there and said, yeah, we printed this card for Legacy to like address, address balance issues in Legacy. And that overall just makes me happy that they would actually like do something like that, not completely ignore the format, because we know they're always quite vocal about not testing, like, even modern, when they make changes, but when the, the principal game designer actually feels like, hey, like, I imagine him to be like, he's like the Death in Texas guy, and he's like, reading everything about Death in Texas, and he's like, ah, screw you, Death Right Chairman, I'm gonna print a card in, like, two years, that's pr gonna be pretty good against you. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, yeah, well, how about, how about if they ever listen to this, stop printing hate bears to answer fringe decks in Legacy, like, there are so many fringe hate bears already that are that death and taxes has access to and doesn't play and i think this is just yet another one like another two so, so what do you want you want more thalias is that what no, you're asking for no no i've stopped printing things specifically for legacy death and taxes like they've already got enough tools <laughs> it, it does seem like every supplemental set like they've gotten council judgment recruiter of the guard palace jailer uh, and all these cards have like well there's taken the one that to catch on, out of the graveyard too there's yeah there's uh there's a bunch of them Right. There's the, uh, I'm th mostly the flying with you. Thalia. There's there's uh, there's the new Thalia that leaves behind a token when it dies. <laughs> there's like 16 yeah. different Thalias, but we only play Thalia <laughs> because it's good enough. <laughs> you know, as right. a way for like to to allow Death and Texas to play all these cards, Wizards is gonna announce that the minimum constructed deck size is gonna go to 80. <laughs> yeah. And then the deck, and then you probably also increase the number of cards you can play. But actually, that kind of defeats the Just purpose. Play more recruiters. <laughs> Play more more recruiters and and uh, one of every hate bear ever printed. <laughs> that could be a new format. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next card I wanted to talk about was Karn, the Great Creator. Uh, four mana for a Planeswalker. Starts on five loyalty. Um, it has a couple abilities. Uh, static ability of activated abilities of artifacts your opponent's control can't be activated. Plus one, you make a non-creature artifact into a creature with power and toughness equal to CMC. Minus two, you wish for an artifact and put it in your hand. Um, so this one's also pretty interesting. Uh, I think it could definitely see play in something like um, like Eldrazi Post. What do you guys think? 
I feel so stupid for mentioning that that red card we talked about earlier was going to be the biggest card <laughs> that set because now we come up with like all these actually relevant cards. I think that <laughs> Karn being like a four, like four color is always the sweet spot for for the Soul Land decks, and Karn having a decently relevant ability while also allowing for like that's a big thing people talked about, right? You you get Mikus and Lenteth from the sideboard, which I feel is like a six mana artifact that says everything on the battlefield is an artifact, and then the static ability or is it like yeah, it's everything on the battlefield is an artifact, and then the static ability basically stops your opponent from ever doing anything because his lands are artifacts, and so he, he can't really tap them for mana anymore. I think that's how it works. Uh, like, the Milkinson Lenteth thing might be too cute. I could actually see it being playable in, like, a dedicated soul land deck. Uh, definitely in Vintage, uh, like, where you have Workshop to, like, get this card out even quicker. Um, I'm quite excited to see what Karn will be doing in Legacy. Wait. Well, it's not an artifact, so you can't yeah. play it off workshop. Oh, see? Oh, game one. Uh, game loss. Warning. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think we really have to see how strong these static abilities are. I mean, at the very least, it's got to be strong enough for a sideboard card, right? I think the, pipe, the decks who would play Karn would probably play it in the main. I would assume. Yeah, if it's good. So if the static abilities are good enough. Uh, I mean, because, like, the plus, the, the, the loyalty abilities just aren't aren't as strong because they have these static abilities in general on most of these planeswalkers so it really kind of depends on if the static ability makes up for the weak weaker loyalty abilities i mean the static ability is pretty narrow so what does it do it, like stops equipment and ether vial like um, does it stop uh wait what is it again it, it stops activated abilities if they're not mana abilities no it stops mana abilities too so no, it's so basically it's, against, like, it's a one-sided null rod yeah so that's pretty good oh that's some true Okay, I mean, four is a lot to ask for against LED, but I guess if you're playing um, Eldrazi or whatever, then you're, you're probably able to buy time and bridge into that, so it's still relevant. That's good. And, uh, like, you can just wish for a card that just beats them pretty much. Um, yeah, I like that, like, I don't know if like is the right word, because I, I generally don't like these artifact decks, but it definitely gives them, um, you know, access to answers that, like, they can play in their sideboard now. So, like, you can just, like, wish for an ensnaring bridge against Sneak and Show or Delver. Um, yeah. So I think it's, it's a powerful card, and I, I expected to see some play. There's th this is set is actually just insane. Like almost every set, it, we just see like a couple playables, like Arclight Phoenix or whatever. Um, and even that is like not guaranteed. But then this set is just like, hey, try me. Like put me in your deck and see what happens. You know. Yeah, I thought this Does was a current... special set, not a standard set. <laughs> <laughs> Does the current get um, artifacts or? Non-cutout permanence. Uh, artifacts, so you can't. Oh, get, like, so, You can't get okay. like all his dust or something like that. But uh, okay. still, yeah, it's still, it's still a lot. Like you can get like, um, well, I was thinking of Modern Tron, but you can get like O Stone. Um, you can get, you can get some sweepers, I think. Okay. You could put O Stone in the sideboard of Eldrazi Post. I mean, the the, the Eldrazi Post that I, I I played this last week, I put four all his dust because I think it's really good against um, the blue white decks that are running around. But having yeah, an O Stone in the sideboard. Yeah, basics. Yeah, so that's pretty good. Yes, yeah. Um, all right, so next card, Finale of Promise. This one's pretty exciting. I can't tell if it's Niv Mizzet or Nickel Bolas in the art. Um, I, try, I like. I am sort of a fan of the story. I don't follow it that closely, but anyways, here's like the card. Super big nor nerd. He reads yeah. all the novels. And movies <laughs> and stuff. Exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, actually. Uh, BBD like did a podcast on his podcast, and then he called it like Lore of the Spark. So I'm I'm excited to listen to that one to see BBD's rendition of the magic story. But anyways, onto the card. It's X red red, 
Um, so CMC2 plus an X. Uh, you may cast an instant and a sorcery from your graveyard, uh, each with converted mana cost X or less without paying their mana costs. Um, if X is 10 or more, you copy each of those spells twice. So again, because you're not paying mana cost, this works with cards like uh, Ancestral Vision and Living End and what have you. So th they're just printing so many cards that let you access those spells. Um, but so like, what what is the scenario with this card? You could go like, this is not very exciting because it's burn and burn is really bad, but I'll just say it for, for the sake of it. You can go like, what, turn one, Swift Spear, turn two, Lightning Bolt, Chain Lightning, turn three, Finale of Promise, and then they're just dead. Um, so that's a turn that three quickly? kill. So yep. sorry, remind me again, what does the card do? I, I just thought about like casting uh, living dead three times in a single turn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's you can cast an instant and and a sorcery basically, yeah. uh, without paying their mana cost. But, but what's the mana cost of the card? That that's the part I missed. Oh, it's red red X. Red red X. So, so you, you can... pay three mana to cast two bolts basically. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. What other applications are there for this card? It's a sorcery, so like you could use it to cast like brainstorm and ponder, but that's just like not good enough. Um, so I feel like you would have to be doing something broken with zero drop spells or playing burn and so like just from that perspective none of those really appeal to me so i don't think this will see play but it's i don't know just like another card that is potentially Basically you brought it up because you like the artwork i think <laughs> possibly i think that if the, if we already have access to cards that do these things such as casting ancestral visions and they're not already played then i'm gonna say it's probably not gonna see play and i'll probably be right most of the time <laughs> okay All but right, last card yeah yeah last card yeah. is Contentious plan. Uh, one in a blue, sorcery proliferate, draw a card. Sorry. Also, what? people were talking about this card with regards to Throne of Geeth or Geth. Geth, whatever. Yeah. So what does it do? It, it's right. one in a blue for a sorcery, so two mana, proliferate, draw a card. So you can change uh, Chalice on one to a Chalice on two, which also stops future Chalices on two from coming down, and you draw a card. Basically, it's a Throne of Geth that cantrips. And technically, can also like I don't know, like ramp your uh, your planeswalker up. But I think like people are talking about this card in the context of of Death Shadow, which is also the kind of card that that play a deck that played Throne of Geth. I, I could see the card. It's also blue. It's also blue. This could it's be blue. a great oh, effect answer that's, to, that's actually pretty uh, important. to Chalice. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of just like a card you could put in the sideboard of Shadow and Infect. Basically, any blue deck that's weak to Chalice but doesn't have many two drops. Uh, you can go ahead and just play this card, and if it has some other proliferate benefits, that's nice too. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, uh, yeah, it has to be a very, it has to be a deck like exactly like Infect or Shadow, where, uh, and even Infect, like you, you don't really want to proliferate to two, but you do get that Infect proliferate, which could be nice. But Shadow doesn't have many access, uh, uh, access to many cards that answer Chalice, so that's why they play these weird ones. So one more card that I saw on Twitter. I'm actually not sure if it's in the next set, but I think it is. Yeah, it probably is. Uh, it's that that chase card. It's like a blue, a blue and two colorless. And I think it's a sorcery. You draw two cards, and if you control a chase planeswalker, you draw three cards. Is this card going to see any kind of play? Because basically, it's like painful truth, but it's blue and doesn't cost you life. Well, painful truth sees no play, so it's a some people insist on. When you have a case, are you like, do you really need cards? <laughs> yeah, you know, somebody in in my legacy friends earlier today said that um, if you have a card that reads "if you control a chase planeswalker," is inherently even more immediately. <laughs> yeah, that is really funny. To, I mean, to even think of that, you need 
you know, to, to get more benefit out of your Jace. <laughs> if you control Nicole Bola's Planeswalker and your lands are untapped, then this draws an extra card, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, guys, um, I think Eric is not going to go to the GP. Um, I'm also not going. Uh, Bob, you are going. You're probably pretty excited. You definitely won't tell us what you're going to play. I'm not going to... Probably it's uh, going to no, be a I'm, I'm like probably playing depths at this point um there's an outside chance that um, i've been testing a couple of matchups which i've been like kind of unhappy with depths um specifically like the knight of the reliquary decks um are, are pretty tough but i don't think there'll be that many of them um storm is also tough uh sneaking is not great but yeah i'm mostly decided on it unless i change my mind and play, end up playing delver um, you should play basically uh, maybe if you can reanimator's busted with this oh no they're not gonna have the london mulligan never mind yeah play they don't have you, the london play mulligan but Reanimator is honestly going to be. Again. I mean, back to the Mulligan discussion. Reanimator, I feel like the deck. I think it'd be really good at that GP if they had the London Mulligan rule. Yeah, and people aren't fully ready for it. And people don't um, really know how to play the. I, I'm noticing with the London Mulligan rule that I think it's going to increase win percentage for skilled for for higher skilled players because they're going to be able to utilize this Mulligan better. I think. I like Just, that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but it's not it, it's not going to be live at, at the the GP unfortunately. Do you think <laughs> do you think Reanimator is going to start putting up like a lot of results again cuz I want to say Reanimator never Absolutely. Really I'm going to up... be in the US playing at these tournaments next year. It's definitely <laughs> okay. up results. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I cuz like when when it first came on the scene it put up a good number of results, but then like ever since then you've been like the only person putting up a lot of results. So, it's always been like kind of surprising to me that People Either. don't really play it still. Like people still don't really play it, but, but I do I know some people it try night. it every people once play in a while. Please, play it on Modo. They ask and me questions like, how to play it. Yeah. Yeah, but they play it poorly. But like, um, uh, I've had some people like you remember Ole Roddy was playing and he was crushing with it. And uh, said said's been playing it recently. Mental missed up on MTGO and he's been doing really well with it too. And you know he's he's discussed it a little bit with me and thinks it's really good as well. I think if good players play it, the deck is insane. <laughs> <laughs> you should try it. Run it through a couple leagues. How about we we do a league together uh, soon? I'll do one. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah, consider it like a promotion for Eric Stream. Or more, <laughs> more like a promotion for Bob as a personality. You know, people actually mentioned Bob as the best legacy player of the US, and Bob heavily disagreed with that. But I think the question itself that I posted on Twitter was like super awkward and was somewhat <laughs> geared towards people like get answering in interesting ways. Someone said Eric was the best player but i don't know if that was in the united states or in thailand <laughs> <laughs> jeez <laughs> have you ever played legacy in thailand no i'm the you, only you legacy like player it's... in thailand so i hope i'm the best <laughs> have you ever considered like playing in like ptqs or something like or you know a friend I, have, of mine, I, email, I actually messaged once they don't i don't have any i don't want to buy you know standard decks I, I haven't really it's they're an hour and a half away from me and i'd have to buy decks and stuff so no Okay, okay. <laughs> a friend of mine, he's German, but he has like a Vietnamese background, and he always wanted to get in, on the Vietnamese national team, but then mm -hmm. he learned that he would actually, apparently that's like something he has to give up his German passport or something, and move to like Vietnam and live there for half a year, and he was like, yeah, okay, I, I'm not that deep into, into it. You but... just have to register your DCI in that country. <laughs> and just pretend that you're Vietnamese. Actually, you could No, you just off. have to register your DCI there. Like, I, I was, I'm registered in Korea still, I think. <laughs> So, guys, you, you got anything more to add? Like, do you have like some special pro, allegedly pro player tip for the people playing in the GP on the weekend? What's your secret uh, to doing well? I don't, I don't have any secret tips um, per se. I think, 
I think Legacy is this format where like whoever whoever's put in a lot of time over the years, it's going to be a pretty big benefit. Not that you can't pick it up. Like, say you're a pro and you want to pick up a blue deck, I would definitely recommend something like Delver. Uh, they can definitely pick it up in like a week or two and do well with it. Um, but I don't think there are going to be too many pros there. There's no coverage, which I'm sad about. They didn't let Honorog do coverage either. Um, <laughs> he's going to do like rogue coverage, but they said no. Uh, so there's no coverage, and the pro tour or the mythic championship is the week after so a lot of uh pros are going to skip this event so i'm a little bit sad about that so do you think one of the nine decks that you initially posted is going to take like what are the odds that one of those nine decks will win the event what would you say that's a lot of the format let me let me like uh do a back of the envelope calculation so it's like 11 20 that's like maybe like half the format and it's like some of the better half of the format so i would say that there's like I don't know, maybe like a 70% chance, 75% okay. or higher, uh, yeah. that one of those decks takes it down. Maybe even I think higher. We'll, I think like we'll see one of our big legacy names win the, win the tournament, and those people usually play um, Miracles, Miracles and Delver yeah. and Storm. <laughs> so I think it'll be Miracles, Delver, or Storm that wins, because it's going to be one of those guys. Might be you. So I'm calling it like the finals will be like Cyrus and Storm against some guy on Miracles that we have heard from before. Just anybody but Honorog. <laughs> I was gonna say Anorak because he was the first guy who came to mind. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, I think that's Cyrus hasn't won a tournament in at least a month or so, so I think yeah, I so put it's my about money time, on him right? as well. <laughs> also, <laughs> shoutouts to Humans of Magic. They did an amazing interview. James did a really great interview with uh, Cyrus CGI. I want now <laughs> Cyrus Carmen Gill, um, one of the most accomplished uh, Storm players as of late, with with a like. I don't want to call it like an interesting backstory because that's not really setting a world well. Like I'm quite troubled, but well, now here I am calling it interesting backstory. You should definitely check that out. And for me, I want to give shoutouts to Basti Hofmeister and uh, the name is Hegel on on Twitter. So I don't know their actual name. Who made donations to running of the show, which we are going to use to like host this because that's actually like a recurring cost that's coming up there, and also to put this on SoundCloud, which is also a recurring cost. So thank you so much for your help. Uh, everything you want to contribute, we're actually going to set up a dedicated Patreon for Everyday Eternal because people uh, ask me about how they can like support the running of the show, and it, it, otherwise, like if they, if I link to my own private Patreon, that's sometimes a bit mixed up. So I'm going to set up a Patreon. It's probably going to be at patreon.com slash everyday unless that's already taken which i hope it's not <laughs> so if you want to support us if you like what you hear it definitely makes a difference and we are still gonna come up with a couple of perks like i had some private talk with bob that people can get for like 50 dollars or more or something no you described <laughs> it as a romantic session a romantic skype session yeah and, and you like the tweet <laughs> and not the tweet that that message so maybe you're gonna put that out so also, thanks a lot for the people who send out reviews on iTunes. We're actually getting a lot of reviews on iTunes lately, which is like super nice because forever the show has never had any reviews. And now we got like seven in like two weeks or something. You can also like us on Spotify. Like we're on Spotify. You can also leave a review there, which like we don't have one on Spotify. So you can be the first one. Uh, with that, I'm going to say, well, Eric, it's super late at night for you. Bob still has like a lot of the day to enjoy. Bob, what are you going to be up to this weekend? Um, I'm actually playing a team tournament tomorrow, so last chance before the GP, so I'm excited. And you're playing Depth? Yep. So good luck with that. Uh, everyone, thanks a lot for tuning in, listening to all of this, and see you again next time when we finally come up with a good catchphrase to sign out the podcast. Bye-bye. <laughs> see you guys. Bye.